When you pick something up at a grocery store or a farmer's market, you may read the ingredients. And if it's a bottle of honey you pick up, the ingredients should just read honey. For most people, this is enough proof that what they're buying really is honey. What else would it be? Well, in 2008, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement began a probe into the honey industry. It ended five years later with one of the nation's largest honey processing plants filing for bankruptcy after being charged with illegally labeling honey. They were one of multiple companies involved, and five people went to jail. I'm not an expert in fraudulent honey, but Jim Gawainis, our guest on today's episode, is. Welcome to Behind the Veil, a show about a first-year beekeeper trying to answer the questions, what's killing bees, and who's doing something about it. On today's episode, I talk to Jim about how honey is adulterated, how he tests for it, and why it matters. I've found local honeys that were supposed to be from a specific region in the United States that came from Vietnam. And it's supposed to be, you know, a, a specific regional floral source. And I can tell you right now it's eucalyptus from Vietnam. And it's labeled as U.S. honey from that particular state. And they sell it at farmer's markets. Jim is the CEO and chief chemist of Sweetwater Science Labs. We're a uh, food authenticity uh, laboratory. One of our main products that we currently work on that we're, we started with is honey, ensuring that the honey that is bought on store shelves and elsewhere is actually what it says it is. So beekeepers, consumer advocacy groups, and honey wholesalers, or packers as they're known in the industry, will hire Jim's team to verify that their honey is real. The first question to begin to understand the seedy underworld of food adulteration is why would someone fake honey in the first place? Well, honey, quite frankly, is expensive to make. To be a beekeeper is not a simple thing. The honey itself is a wonderful, naturally occurring product, but it's expensive. Whereas if we're talking about corn syrup, for instance, corn syrup's cheap. I think the current market for corn syrup in the United States, I think it's, it's like 36 cents a pound. And that's, and that's retail. Honey in the United States costs anywhere from $1.50 to $2 a pound to produce. And that's on a commercial level. Whereas sugar is, you know, that's, that's stupid cheap. So if you take sugar syrup and blend it with honey, You've then stretched your honey and you can sell that for the, if you're not being caught, you can sell that for the same cost as the, as the honey and get a higher price for something you didn't pay as much for. People are willing to pay a lot for honey. Just look at Manuka honey, the kind that comes from bees that forage on Manuka bushes, which are found in New Zealand. A jar of Manuka honey goes for over $30. People pay this much because it's supposed to be anti-inflammatory and have a bunch of other health benefits. But here's the thing. New Zealand can only produce about 3,000 metric tons of Manuka honey a year, just because of the fact that New Zealand is small. In some years, it's as low as 1,700 metric tons. The market worldwide is selling 10,000 metric tons. So how much of that is real? 
well, the original 1,700 to 3,000, but you've got another 7,000 tons of honey that's being sold as Manuka that's never come from a Manuka plant. So I mean, the, the problem is enormous. I mean, the honey is the third most adulterated uh, food material in the world. What systems allow it to be such a large problem? It's a simple question with a complicated answer. Um, the, it's not so much systems that have allowed it, it's the lack of systems that have disallowed it. There's really, for, for lack of a better way of putting it, there's virtually no oversight. What oversight there is, is fraught with um, problems within its own self. Groups that are pretending to actually do something about it that are not doing something about it. When I called Jim to ask if he'd be on the podcast, he was excited. He warned me, though, not to get too in the weeds. There are a lot of weeds, he said. At first, I didn't know what he meant. But then as I began digging into different honey testing methods, I noticed I was in the weeds. C3, C4 testing had its place. We have the instrument that was actually used to develop. There are a lot of intricacies to the world of honey adulteration. Complicated science, different testing methodologies. It's a lot to take in. But the point is, it's big business with smart people involved. This isn't backyard beekeepers messing around in their kitchens. It's billion dollar companies who always seem to be a step ahead. The reason why is because it only looks at essentially one data point. You're looking at a carbon 13. Well, up until this point, well, up until, you know, including now, we're adulteration testing and, and, and determining things are adulterated has been a reactionary process. If we can get to the point where our analytics are actually a proactive process, then we can, we can really get moving fast on making sure the food we have is the food we eat and it's actually food. At this point, again, I felt a little in the weeds. So I asked Jim, what does proactive mean? Proactive is where we in the laboratory start thinking like the bad guys and we come up with the ways of, of doing it so that we can test for it before they come up with the ways of doing it. And how sophisticated do you think the bad guys are? Are they trying to- Very. Um, I mean, you're talking about laboratories and I, and I mean, full-blown chemistry, food chemistry laboratories with a million dollar a year budget. I mean, right there, I mean, that, that tells you how, you know, how fast can they do this? Wicked fast. We don't get that kind of budget. If Imagine what, what the good guys would get with a budget that's e either at the same point or even a little bit more than what the bad guys are, you, are budgeting for. Adulterated honey is big business because making honey is a lot of work. Not just for beekeepers, but for bees. When bees collect nectar from flowers, it's really watery. So they have to take it back to the hive and they flap their wings to blow air on the nectar. So the water evaporates and it turns into thick honey, which they then cap with wax. Beekeepers then have to remove this wax cap to harvest the honey. And all of this takes time. You have adulteration by harvesting honey before it's been capped and then drawing off the water. It's called water honey in some countries. Has it been to a hive? Yes. 
but it's only been to the hive for like maybe three or four days. It hasn't even been, it hasn't even been dried. And it's basically, so it's, it's essentially nectar that's been gathered by the bees. Then there's an even more sophisticated technique that involves using a resin. Looks like tiny beads, somewhat like Dippin' Dots that ice cream used to see in shopping malls, but smaller. There's a method that's being used um, around the world that uses a resin that actually takes honey and changes the characteristics of the honey to go from a low quality, dark honey that smells and tastes bad. It removes those flavors and you end up with an extra light honey that's been chemically altered and they're selling that as high quality honey. Well, it's been chemically altered. Is it actually honey anymore? No, not really. Not in my opinion. With this resin, you can actually mask the origin of honey. And this is a problem because it opens the door to honey laundering. Someone can take the pollen out of honey, then insert an entirely different pollen from another country. It's what occurred in the case I mentioned at the beginning. One of the companies involved was ALW, stands for Alfred L. Wolf. They're a giant supplier of honey and other raw ingredients. And they were getting cheap honey from China, and then in some cases adulterating it with the methods Jim described, and they changed the label so it didn't appear to come from China. This was their way of getting around tariffs, which the U.S. had imposed to prevent cheap Chinese honey from putting U.S. beekeepers out of business. In 2013, they were caught in a sting operation. So quite a few people went to jail, and uh, the company that, the primary company that was doing that was either sold off or dissolved. But it also started uh, creating a, a whole new impetus on, on how we look at honey in specifics. There are a ton of different ways to fake honey. And as you can imagine, there are a lot of ways to test for fake honey too. One of the most advanced involves using an MRI machine. It's a little different than the one you may see at a hospital, but it's the same technology. Sweetwater Science is the only lab in the U.S. that does this. We, we, we pulse the sample with a radio frequency in a high magnetic field. Um, that particular methodology, we actually create fingerprints. We don't actually do anything to the honey except a, a small amount of preparation work. It's still honey when we do the analysis that way. And it comes up with a spectra that is unique to honey. If there's alterations in that signature, we can determine that something has been added removed or otherwise altered in that honey. I feel like in a sense, you have this very specific superpower that you can use whenever you want. Are there moments where you'll eat something and you'll be like, I don't know about this. And you'll like carry a sample back to the lab out of curiosity. How often are you testing for things out of curiosity in your own life as opposed to you know, for a client? Um, every day. A question like that is like asking a puppy, do you like your ball? I mean, this is, this is fun. We play with stuff just because we want to. I mean, the, we, we're looking at, at several other products. We're looking at olive oil. We're looking at, at avocado oil. We're looking at coffee. We're looking at, at beef. We're looking at, at um, dairy product. I mean, why? Because it's fun. There's still one thing Jim and I hadn't discussed. How does all of this affect bees? One of the things that's been really talked about in the media over the last 15, 20, 25 years 
has been the colony collapse disorder. Um, in what I have been seeing you know, as, as an analyst and a scientist is, is it happening? Yeah. Is it that bad? Maybe not. Um, the, the, the collapse that I'm seeing is not in the colonies, it's the people who maintain the colonies. Um, it's because the people who are trying to be beekeepers, especially on a commercial level, they're losing their shirts because the way in which the current industry is being managed, monitored, however way you want to describe it, is not conducive for the American beekeeper to be able to produce honey. If corporations can import honey from China, evade tariffs, and mix their quote-unquote honey with cheap syrups, it's really hard for beekeepers to compete. They can make a living with pollination services, but honey? How can you turn a profit when competitors are cheating? For things to change, there needs to be public pressure for honey companies to use accredited labs, like Sweetwater Science Labs, to regularly test their honey. But is this even possible at scale? We could do the entire Western Hemisphere in our laboratory, and it would basically cost a penny a pound, and we could do all of it. It's not that expensive, but it's a matter of we're here, we're ready to work, and we're ready to take care of you. Now it's, you know, it's up to you guys. I mean, it, it, if you want to do it, let's do it. If you don't understand the technology, call me. I'll tell you. I'll explain the whole thing. You want to come to my lab? I'll teach you how to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm a recovering professor. I, I, I teach. You know, that's, that's, that's what we do here is, is not only just do the testing, we also educate anyone who wants to be educated on how any of this works and why it's important. We're happy to help. It's just at this point, it's a matter of desire. You've ruined my grocery store trips for, for a while. <laughs> Sorry about that. Really, the, the, the way to look at this is, is, you know, buy your fresh food, you know, and in as far as other things like, you know, processed things that you buy in a bottle, just do your homework. Behind the Veil is hosted by me, Alfredo Salkeld, and produced in partnership with Foodabee Apiary. Foodabee Apiary installs and maintains beehives in backyards with one mission in mind, help people fall in love with honeybees. My guest on today's episode was Dr. Jim Gawainis. If you really want to do your homework and find out whether the honey you're eating is real, you can go to sweetwaterscience.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.